10 by Wendell Berry. Whatever is foreseen in joy must be lived out from day to day. Visions held open in the dark by our 10,000 days of work. Harvest will fill the barn. For that, the hands must ache. The face must sweat. Yet no leaf or grain is filled by work of ours. The field is tilled and left to grace that we may reap. Great work is done while we're asleep. When we work, a Sabbath mood rests on our day and finds it good. In seminary, to my great surprise, one of my favorite subjects was Old Testament. I took classes beyond what was required because I liked it so much. The stories and the stories behind the stories fascinated me. Using the tools of historical and literary analysis to discover that text fascinated me. And the ways the text echoes across generations and is interpreted and reinterpreted in different communities fascinate me. And because Jewish and Christian scriptures are only part of our sources of wisdom here, one of the many sources of wisdom we hold up, I don't focus on this stuff very much. But today I hope you'll let me indulge in some Bible nerdiness. (laughs) So the text that became the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, was formed across centuries in different communities of Israelites And it was an oral tradition, and much later it was written down and then compiled into the single book that we often think of it as. And there are places in the text where you can see evidence of that later stitching together, where stories are repeated in slightly different ways, sometimes contradicting themselves. And one of the most interesting ones is right at the beginning of the whole thing. There are two different stories about the creation of humanity. In the first, God creates humanity all at once, men and women together. And then just a few verses later, we have that second story, the one that most of us know best about the creation of Adam, the man, and then the creation of Eve, the woman. But there's two stories right there. And these different stories come from different communities who had very different understandings of humanity the relations between men and women, and our relations with the divine. There are also two versions of the Ten Commandments, one in the book of Exodus and one in the book of Deuteronomy. And they are mostly the same, with slight differences between them, again reflecting what mattered to the different communities in which they were popularized and were passed down orally. And so today I'm preaching about the practice of Sabbath, finding spirit in the form of time. And I want to highlight the text of these two versions of the commandment to keep the Sabbath. Because the reasons and why, the reasons saying why you should do this are totally different in each text. So here's the version from Exodus. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident of your towns. 
For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. And here's the Deuteronomy version. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male or female slave or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the resident alien in your towns so that your male or female slave may rest as well as you. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So those are two completely different reasons for this practice. The first calls on people to remember the creation story, and that after six days of work, the divine rested. That practice of work followed by rest is held up as a holy example. And that rest and refreshment that the divine experienced on that seventh day is much more than can be expressed in our word for rest or refreshment. The root word is not rest, but a word that means self, soul, and life. So on that day, the holy was re-selfed, re-souled, re-lifed. And the people of Israel are commanded to practice the same re-selfing, re-souling, re-lifing. It is about rest, but it's also about restoring ourselves, reconnecting to who we are most fundamentally. And as you heard, the second version of the Sabbath commandment has an entirely different reason for the practice. People must observe the Sabbath because their ancestors were slaves in Egypt. The people of Israel, whether they can trace lineage from those slaves or not, are instructed to remember the story of slavery and rest on the seventh day and have every living being in their community rest too. Sabbath is in part a way to celebrate freedom and the agency that the people now have. As slaves, they could not rest. And now, as free people, they must rest. And they must invite every person and animal in their community into that Sabbath rest as well. The practice of Sabbath is deeply tied to economic concerns. Giving up a day of work was a sacrifice for the ancient Israelites. The weekend hadn't been invented yet. When the Romans first came into contact with these observant Jews, they thought they were lazy for taking one day off a week. And nevertheless, the Jews persisted with their Sabbath. They knew rest was necessary, despite the economic sacrifice it required. Not working reminded them that they are not what they do. And we all need that time to, re- to re-life, re-soul, re-self. And keeping a Sabbath is just a beginning of a whole set of instructions on economic practices in that part of the Hebrew Bible. A reordering of the role of money and wealth in our lives, deeply rooted in the rhythms of Sabbath, the rhythms of seven. So every seven years, debts were to be forgiven. Every seven years, slaves were to be given freedom and enough resources to succeed as free people. 
Every seven years, land was to lie fallow, and whatever grew was to be given to the poor. Every 49 years, that's every seven times seven years, property was to be returned to its original owner. The text lays out a way of being that privileges people over profits, neighborliness over wealth, and sees all beings, even slaves, immigrants, and working animals, as deserving of respect, not simply tools for converting time into space. And there's historical evidence that some of these rules were followed at least some of the time in ancient Israel. It's a high standard. These ancient laws describe a more just economic order. And the Sabbath practice at the heart of these laws is a chance to create a more just world. Walter Brueggemann, a leading Christian Old Testament scholar, writes of Sabbath practice, the performance of Sabbath is an act of testimony, a powerful antidote to a dehumanizing system of power. Practically, Sabbath is an insistence of rest for even the most vulnerable among us. Theologically, it is an insistence that the world does not belong to the predators. Sabbath keeping is a deep affirmation that all God's creatures, human and non-human, should be honored in concrete and practical ways. Sabbath is an embrace of the truth of the abundance of creation against the anxious scarcity that reduces neighbor to threat. Sabbath is a regular, visible enactment of that alternative. So Sabbath is a chance to reorder the way we have ordered things. And I invite you to sit with this vision for a moment as we listen to some beautiful music.
Thinking by Danusha Lamaris. Don't you wish they would stop all the thoughts swirling in your head? Peas in a hive, dancing, tapping their way across the stage. I should rake the leaves in the carport, buy Christmas lights. What's the really life on Mars? What will I cook for dinner? I walk up the driveway. Put out the garbage bins. I should stop using plastic bags. Visit my friend whose husband just left her for the Swedish nanny. I wish I had said Patrick's painting looked ominous. Maybe that wasn't why he called. Does the car need oil again? There's a hole in the ozone layer the size of Texas, and everything seems to be speeding up. Come, let's stand by the window and look out at the light in the field. Let's watch how the clouds cover the sun and almost nothing stirs in the grass. In many ways, we humans are machines that convert time into space. When we travel by foot, by bike, by car, we convert our time into relocation through space. When we work for pay, we convert our time into a paycheck and then usually convert pieces of that paycheck into rent or mortgage payments that allow us a space to live. And other parts of that paycheck are converted into other things that take up space in our lives, literally and metaphorically. Abraham Joshua Heschel was one of the leading rabbis of the last century famous for his scholarship and for his activism. He literally wrote the book on Sabbath, and he writes, Technical civilization is man's conquest of space. It is a triumph frequently achieved by sacrificing an essential ingredient of existence, namely time. In technical civilization, we expend time to gain space. To enhance our power in the world of space is our main objective. Yet to have more does not mean to be more. The power we attain in the world of space terminates abruptly at the borderline of time. But time is the heart of existence. The danger begins when in gaining power in the realm of space, we forfeit all aspirations in the realm of time. There is a realm of time where the goal is not to have, but to be, not to own, but to give, not to control, but to share, not to subdue, but to be in accord. One of the great teachings of the Jewish tradition is to remember the realm of time alongside the realm of space. Heschel says, speaking for the Jewish people, the Sabbaths are our great cathedrals. That is a powerful idea. I know many of us have been in holy places, houses of worship or spots of natural beauty that stun us with their splendor. And what would it mean to have a day, a day out of seven, that stuns us similarly? The Jewish tradition has detailed and varied instructions on how to build this cathedral in time. The ancient rabbis who wrote the Talmud, a set of commentaries on the Bible and then commentaries on those commentaries, 
that in its fullness stretches over 6,000 pages, named 39 categories of work that could not be done on the Sabbath, always with the caveat that if someone's life is in danger, all work is allowed. Differing schools of thought have brought different interpretations to the question of whether driving a car or flipping a light switch or holding an umbrella or dozens of other tasks is our work or not. In Israel, some elevators in residential skyscrapers are set so on the Sabbath they automatically go up and down all day, opening on every single floor, so no one has to do the work of pushing a button. There are a lot of no's in Sabbath keeping. And those no's make room for a deeper, more important yes. The yes of building that cathedral in time. This is a, there's a big and beautiful tradition of welcoming the Sabbath every Friday evening with food and drink and ritual. And the Jewish tradition is full of descriptions of the Sabbath as, as though the describing the Sabbath as a bride or a queen that you get to welcome into your life every week. It is holy and beautiful. And one of the challenges and joys of our Unitarian Universalist tradition is that we are not handed an authoritative text brimming with arguments about what it means to be faithful. We do not have 6,000 pages of ancient wisdom to reinterpret for today. If we want to build a cathedral in time, engage spirit in the form of time, or find ways to re-soul, re-self, re-life ourselves, we do not have that rich ritual tradition to step into. It is inappropriate for those of us who are not rooted in that Jewish tradition to adopt their Sabbath practices, and yet we can find ways to honor the teaching of finding spirit in the form of time. So this challenge is for each of us to forge our own meaningful paths, and that in itself is a source of joy and wisdom. Each of us can develop the practices that serve us well. How might you build a cathedral in time? How might you re-soul, re-self, re-life? Those of you who get emails from me and bother to scroll all the way to the bottom might know that there's a note below my email signature that says you won't, I don't read emails between Sunday afternoon and Tuesday morning. That's my, the time I carve out as my personal Sabbath practice. That's the day that it works for me to build my structure in time. And I can't say I've built some sort of grand cathedral exactly. It's maybe more like a cozy little shed. <laughs> But it's cozy, and I need that weekly visit. But it's not something tourists are going to buy tickets to come and see. I don't check emails on Mondays. I don't check Facebook. And I limit my internet time and my news consumption on Monday, which is really hard for me. I struggle to put down my smartphone. And I know I'm not alone. The average person with a smartphone checks it about 85 times a day, which is totally mind-boggling to me and feels so true that I'm torn between those two impulses. And saying all these no's to email, to work, to the internet, to the news has opened up time for a deeper yes. 
In my cozy shed of time, I have the time to re-soul, re-self, re-life. I don't do anything particularly profound, but I just try to relax into slower rhythms. I usually go grocery shopping and do some elaborate cooking project, which is a source of joy and comfort for me and my family. I take walks. I let my thoughts wander. Often that's when the best ideas come. And more important than anything I'm doing with the time, I am reminded that the world keeps spinning. The headlines will be there for me to see them the next day or the next day. They don't need my constant vigilance for the news to happen. Great works happens when I'm not paying attention. It's all a relay, and I can hand it off for that day and let other people carry things forward. I remember that we are wrapped in a love that will not let us go. So what kind of structure could you build in time? A cathedral? A cozy shed? What are the no's that you can say that will allow you to say yes to something more meaningful? May we all find those no's and those yeses. May we all find the time and the space to re-soul, re-self, and re-life ourselves. May we make it so. And amen.